the awesomeness of hyperbole. Hi, I'm Neil Headley. Welcome to The Voice in My Head for Monday, January 31st, 2022. Hyperbole is literally the worst thing in the entire history of the universe. Okay, so the reality is that there are probably, you know, hundreds of thousands of things that are actually worse than hyperbole, starting with the first season of Dexter New Blood, but you get the idea. Uh, If the irony, though, of that first line was lost on you, pull up a chair because we have some things to discuss. I used to work with a traffic reporter for whom the slightest inconvenience on the road was punctuated on the air with phrases like a dreadful drive or a horrendous backup or what is still my personal favorite, an apocalyptic commute. So one day he asks me if there's anything he can do that would make him a better reporter. And I told him to go read The Boy Who Cried Wolf. You know, in response to the sort of quizzical look that followed, I said, look, you had a fender bender today that caused about a two minute delay and you described it as a massive headache. So what adjectives are left over for you to capture the scene with when a tanker truck rolls over and explodes? It's the same conversation that has led me to bemoan the devolution to meaninglessness of words like epic and awesome and horrific and so on. Look, when someone sees a TikTok video of a guy doing an ill-fated skateboard stunt who, you know, crumples to the ground after he slams his man parts into a stair railing and they consider that majestic, well, you know, the language is kind of in trouble. But businesses gleefully use those kind of words in their advertising all the time without so much as a thought. I was in the car yesterday and I heard a commercial for the biggest sale ever with the lowest prices in our history. And I wondered if I were to bring in a hundred of your most loyal long-term customers and let's pretend they all have eidetic memories, would a single one of them be able to remember an item that has ever sold for cheaper? My guess is they would. Why? Because we both know that this isn't really the biggest sale ever, and they're not really the lowest prices in your history. You're picking the low-hanging fruit because the dog days of the post-holiday season are here, and your competitor is now eating your lunch. The trouble with hyperbole as a mission statement is that it becomes difficult to sustain. I remember when I was a teenager, my parents and I had this running joke about how Sears had yet another sale running. I would grab the latest flyer that came with the paper and pretend to be excited to get to the mall because, well, if Sears is having a sale, it must be a big deal. Sears of all places. It's having a sale. Sears. Can you imagine that? I mean, of course, you know, We all know how that strategy ultimately worked out for Sears. Awkward. In fact, if memory serves, there was a case back in the 1970s or 80s where the government actually stepped in and told a retailer that they weren't allowed to advertise a specific sale because the items that were on sale had never actually been available for purchase at the regular price. Yeah. 
Many jurisdictions now have laws on the books that prevent businesses from advertising shady discounts or non-existent price cuts. But in a similar vein, I was working on the campaign of a person who was running for elected office, and we were talking about the various things that made this particular candidate special. Well, in that vein, there was plenty to choose from. He was truly unique in that I would watch him engage with the voters and instead of being finished with the conversation as quickly as possible in order to move on to the next, you know, disposable hand to shake and meaningless baby to kiss, he would give them contact information for his assistant. Then he would get back to his desk. He would jot down notes about each person that he met by name. And he would actually try to come up with a way to address the concerns that they had raised in the conversation. So when the person would end up calling, they'd be met with familiarity. They'd be updated on the action steps that the candidate had already taken in their name. So the idea was raised that we should talk about how much this particular candidate cares Because from what his office staff told me, what I witnessed would happen multiple times a day. He's one of those rare birds who gets into politics because he actually has a deep drive to help people. And he's got it in his DNA to try and make the world a better place. Something that, you know, in our current political discourse is quite literally alarming in its scarcity. So the idea was expressed that we should focus on that idea that he cares. It's the candidate's unique selling proposition. But here's the weakness in that strategy. Every politician says they care. Every single one. And what has become clear is that when a politician says they care, it's actually prudent and maybe even necessary, given recent events, to ask them to clarify what it is they care about. Because often we find out after the fact that the thing I care about above all else is simply getting reelected or maintaining or amassing power or perhaps the most common, the stated and unstated positions of their political party. They act not as our voices in the halls of government. They're the voice of the party in our neighborhoods and our communities. They're giving press conferences and late-night interviews on national TV far more often than they're talking to the reporters from the local paper. They don't represent their constituents to the leaders. It's, you know, the other way around. So hearing a politician say they care has come to mean nothing because they all say it, and almost none of them actually do it. It's just another version of the hyperbolic biggest sale of the season, and It's unfortunate because when people in my industry stumble across a business that really is putting on their lowest prices ever or a a candidate who really does care, you find that the phrases have been so misused that people just inherently don't trust them. There have even been cases where stores were slapped on the wrist by regulators for having giant signs in the window advertising a going out for business sale, going out for business instead of going out of business. See, the idea was that a quick glance at the sign might fool a customer into thinking that the store was about to go belly up and the proprietors were seeking to liquidate the contents at a tiny fraction of the regular price. In other words, the business was comfortable if their very first interaction with you was based on a lie. Here's the thing, though. If you're yelling at me in your ads about your big sale because that's how you're going to keep pace this month, 
Maybe your advertising really isn't the issue. Maybe you just need to rethink your entire business model. Now, this episode of The Voice in My Head, and it's the first one, thanks for showing up, it cost absolutely nothing. So I guess we could say that these are the lowest prices in the history of the show. But if you found value in it, hey, feel free to buy me a virtual coffee to say thanks. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash NOP. And NOP is spelled K-N-O-P-P. Virtual coffee tastes, you know, almost as good as the high test stuff. And it helps me justify all the time spent at my desk to um, Mrs. Headley. You can also find a transcript of this episode and a bunch of other goodies at nopstudios.com. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Voice in My Head. I'm Neil Headley.